The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. The moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Right now, you can get both Sprint's Unlimited plan and the iPhone XR with its amazing camera included for just $35 per month per line for five lines. All you need is approved credit and 24-month installment billing. No trade-in required. Visit a Sprint store, Sprint.com, or call 800-SPRINT-1. Phone $15 a month after monthly credit supplied within two bills. If canceled early, remaining balance due. Unlimited basic after 63020, pay $32 a month per line with auto pay. Data deprioritization during congestion. Speed maximums, use rules, and restrictions apply. listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. Welcome, welcome, Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. Stephen Jodderan here in Madison. Armand Fai in Dallas, Texas. And boy, do we have a show for you. Yeah, we talked to Hugo Perez and we talked about a lot of issues, including the Jonathan Gonzalez segment, which has been a hot topic in U.S. soccer today. Yeah, we also talk about the being a dual national and, and kind of where U.S. soccer is trending to. But let's uh, get to it. He has 73 caps for the U.S. men's national team. He's a U.S. Soccer Hall of Famer. He helped qualify for the 1990 World Cup. He played at the 1994 World Cup. He's a former U.S. men's national team youth coach. It's Hugo Perez. Welcome to the program, Hugo. Uh, Thank you very much, guys. Uh, Thank you for having me um, uh, on your program today. I'm looking forward to chat a little bit about soccer. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I mean, you messaged us and... Yeah, uh, you said you had to go coach a game. How'd y'all do? Did y'all win? <laughs> yeah, we we um we had like a, a futsal tournament for the academy. Um, so it was one of our coaches got sick, so I had to fill out for him. Um, but everything's good. Everything's good. Oh, awesome! That, that that's that's awesome, Hugo. But let's just jump straight into it. In October, we sadly saw the U.S. men's national team not qualify for the World Cup since 1986. And you were around in 1986 when that actually happened. What's the difference when it happened then to when it happened back in October? Well, um, it's hard to compare the 86 with what happened this past year because yeah. uh, in 86... Um, it was difficult. Obviously, the um, the NASL had folded. Uh, if you guys remember, the NASL folded in 1984. Um, so we were playing uh, 
uh, MISL, which was the indoor professional league. Uh, so we didn't have an outdoor league, uh, basically. Um, and the way we, it was, it's funny, but the way we lost, we lost at home, um, one zero, uh, and we had tied Costa Rica, I think one, one or zero, zero in Costa Rica. So I think it was one, one, we all need, you know, for the second game at home, we just needed to tie a zero, zero, and then we would have gone through to the last round. Um, but unfortunately, uh, we lost in a, in a corner kick, I think it was. And basically we got, you know, we didn't make the final round and to the World Cup. And the other thing, which I don't know if you guys remember, but in the old times, it was difficult to, to qualify for the World Cup because only two teams were from CONCACAF. Yeah, now it's obviously much easier. So uh, it's very hard to compare. Um, obviously, <clears throat> this, you know, after that, uh, obviously, we've been qualifying for all the World Cups since 90, except for this one now. It's going to be in Russia. And I'm sure it was a big disappointment. Uh, it was a disappointment because, obviously, all the tools are there. Uh, they have a professional league. Uh, some of those players are playing in Europe now. Uh, right. So it was uh, very, very disappointing mm. for the uh, guys not to qualify. From the federation standpoint, eighty six, was there anything that had changed? From the eighty six, you mean? Yes, in eighty six, after you guys did fail to qualify, had there been any change from the federation, hoping that they could qualify for the next cycle? Well, um, obviously, uh, in ninety, we were able to qualify, which is funny because at that time, Trinidad and Tobago needed a tie to go to the World Cup, and we went there and just score a. You know, uh, we took a shot and we scored a goal and we ended up qualifying. They, they were supposed to only tie it or win to go through. And we took one shot, spoke of the jury, made it, and we were able to hold the, the 1-0. And then we went to the World Cup. Um, and obviously, things have changed in the sense that um, nowadays, the national team is, is a priority thing. Um and I remember in '86 and '90, obviously '90 was 90 percent of those those guys in '90 were college guys; they were not even professionals. Um, and now you look at the national team and all the money they spend and how they prepare themselves. Um, all these guys are, and obviously all of them are professional players playing in different leagues in the world or here in America. So um, it's hard to imagine that we're out of the World Cup. And then you take into account uh, more teams qualify now than they did in 1990, you know, uh, or 86. So, yeah, it, it was disappointing. Has it changed? Yeah, it's changed uh, because of all the things that I just mentioned. But um, um, then you, you, you measure and you say, well, it is a big disappointment, but also it, it's, it's catastrophe in the sense that they had everything. Uh, right. To be able to go to Russia and and not to do it is 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 bad. Hugo, what do you think was the problem uh, th throughout that cycle? What what stood out to you uh, when watching them play, or was there something behind the scenes that was a uh, a problem for them not to qualify for the World Cup? Well, I mean, I think I, I can only tell you for what I saw, and obviously you hear certain things. Uh, 
I think that, um, I think Shania made a mistake probably in, in signing Jurgen for the second, uh, cycle, um, without basically evaluating what they had done in the previous world cup. Uh, obviously I always say this thing, you know, you, you can qualify for world cups and you can win games in the world cups, but it is important of how you win games and how you right. qualify. What is the, uh, the most important thing is not only sometimes about the winning. Yeah. I understand that because they're going to the world cup and all this and that. But, uh, for me, it's, it's more than that because even after that, the world cup, the first cycle with, with, uh, Jurgen, I think, uh, there were a lot of things that were for me looking at the team and the way they play were not, uh, things that, uh, you could jump back and forth and say, wow, you know, they were awesome and this and that. I mean, uh, we were lacking certain games and, you know, that's without taking the effort of the players. Um, but there were issues, uh, but I guess they didn't, uh, you know, they rushed to sign him again. And, 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 and because he had, you know, gone into the, the round that he went with in the world cup qualify. Um, but, you know, sometimes that's not enough. You, you, you still have to look at every cycle. And even if you work, qualify for the World Cup, you still have to evaluate how we got there and how we did in each game and what were the pluses and the minuses and what were the things that we could have done better and going forward for the next cycle before you sign somebody else. You know, is it worth it? Uh, you know, so many other things that go into it that I, I don't think they pay attention to that. Hugo, what, do you think it was the youth the problem for not qualifying for the World Cup? No, because, um, look, um, everybody has their own responsibility, I think. Um, uh, but where, also, you know, where I think things started, again, this is my personal feeling for what I saw, you know, after the, uh, the, the first cycle with Jurgen was that uh, the team – had not been playing well. Uh, they had been getting good results uh, to a certain degree, but there was a, uh, a lot of issues there. And then obviously the second cycle started that, uh, and they got some uh, good uh, scores, but, but the team wasn't functioning well. Um, and obviously there were issues I understand inside the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the team Um and it would be very unfair to just say, well, it was Bruce Arena not qualifying because this team was already down before he got the team. Um, and I would have to, you know, the accountability of the previous coach has to do a lot with it because, you know, he got let go because basically it was a disaster towards the end. And, and they had to make a change and, and, and Bruce came and, um, you know, he was there because obviously he had the experience, according to them, that he could take this team uh, to the to the World Cup. Now, yeah, we had a lot of uh, senior players now, players who had been into two, three World Cups. Um, but I, I still think that team, with Jurgen mm. or without Jurgen or with with Bruce, they had enough players to to pull it through. Mm-hmm. Okay, but again. Uh, when you go through what that team went through, a lot of players were not happy with Jurgen. Um, um, sometimes you felt that when the team played, you don't know what they were going, playing at. You know, he, he, basically, I don't know what 
sometimes what style to play or what system they would play, and it was a confusion. Right. Um, I mean, so many issues uh, that started, you know, after the second cycle was given to, to Jurgen. Hugo, we've been hearing all about the U.S. Uh, soccer presidency and how they'll provide change. Do you think any of those candidates will provide us the change that we actually need? Well, look, um, I read some of the uh, comments that obviously um, some of the uh, candidates have made. Um, some have good ideas, some have okay ideas. Uh, but the issue is not of what you say. Um, I mean, I think internally, U.S. soccer needs a change. Um, because at the end, uh, when you don't qualify for a World Cup and you don't qualify for the Olympics two times and the under-70s, there was a cycle that didn't qualify. Um, so that means that uh, you need to make a change. You need, you need something new. You need a new vision. You, know, you need new people with, with different ideas. Um, I think on the soccer side, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. especially. Financially, I, I, you know, I understand your son has about $150 million in the bank, mm. right? So I guess if you call it as uh, something that they've done administratively, well, maybe that's one of the things. But uh, at the end, also, the product that you put on the, on the, on the pitch uh, is, is the most important thing for me in that sense also because without it, you don't get any money. Uh, and like I said before, since they've been qualifying to every – World Cup, obviously money was coming in, um, but we never realized the reality of our football and, and the base of it. Uh, we were struggling for a long time. And again, I don't want to blame the players. People say, well, the players didn't run, the players didn't do this. Yeah, the players had something, but I mean, if, if the leadership is not the proper one, uh, as much as you have a lot of talent in a team, it's not going to work. You know, you need to, ha- you need to have an idea. You need to have a uh, a vision, how, what type of players you're going to have, what type of players you can bring, what type of players uh, are the ones that are going to be able to work in a, in, in, in a plan that the coach wants. And I think that was a big problem um, because it, it was always a chaos. It was so disorganized sometimes when they play in. And a lot of the, you know, I would say, uh, Results they got is because you, you know we still have decent players in our national team. That's mm, why right. it's, it's hard because we're not in the World Cup. Do you have a specific coach you would like to see in charge of the U.S. men's national team? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I've, I've said this on Twitter. Um, I might be crazy, but um, I, I think <laughs> Marcelo Bielsa is, is, is the one that uh, I feel. And the reason, you know, people ask me, well, I don't think he can get used to. This or that. And I'll tell you something. In 94, when, when we got Bora, right, everybody said, well, Bora is, you know, Ju- uh, Yugoslavian, but he's like a Mexican. I don't think he can, you know, he doesn't know the language, and, 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 and I don't think he's going to be able to, you know, mentally prepare the, the, the American players and this and that. Uh, and it wasn't true. Uh, one thing that I have to recognized with Bora was when he came in, he said, look, we're going to play a different way. We're going to play a different style. We, we're going to be able to hold to the ball more. You know, I want technical players. I want players who are creative. And 
he brought those players. We we're able to have a group of players that I think uh, when you look at all those players that were part of the, that process with him, you're talking about very good players in every position. Uh, we had a lot of debt. And, and the thing that I like about those players was that everybody had a function, but also the majority of the group of players were technical, had experience, were creative. Uh, they treated the ball well. So, it, 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 you know, bringing Bora, it did help because it changed that. And I think with Marcelo, if he would come, I think the American players would love him because he's a teacher of the game. And, and, and whether we like it or not, and people say, well, you know, these players are professionals. that They cannot be taught anything. I, I don't agree with that because I've seen it with, you know, with Johan Cruyff. I've seen it with Pep Guardiola. I've seen it with Marcelo Bielsa. Uh, they always can learn. And I think um, also, you know, he's a, he, Marcelo is the type of coach that he likes to attack. He's very offensive. And he's also, he takes risks. And, and he's not afraid of playing good football. And I think that's what we've been lacking for a lot of years in the country, you know, without putting any, any, any coaches down, okay? But I think our players are capable of playing a style that uh, Marcelo Bielsa brings to, to the table. No, I agree, Hugo. I think our, our style has lacked creativity as of late. But I wanted to jump uh, to a topic that's been dominating the U.S. soccer realm. And for our listeners who do not know about the Jonathan Gonzalez saga, Jonathan Gonzalez is a player for Monterrey. He is he's a central player, and he was involved at the U.S. national to youth level and has been making multiple uh, – has started for Monterrey, made the Liga MX uh, teams of the week, was, has been playing brilliantly. And even after uh, playing a lot for the U.S., he actually uh, filed a one-time switch and is actually called up for the next round of friendlies with the Mexican with the Mexican national team. Uh, Hercules Gomez talked about the saga that's happened with Jonathan and his family and the difference between the ways the FMF and USSF treat the player. Hugo, where do you think the U.S. went wrong within that whole saga? Okay, let me ask you two questions, okay? <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Because I know you've asked me about the candidates. I can tell you this. You know, I've spoken to three of the candidates. Right? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I can tell you is this. And I've spoken to them. I, I, my, my main thing is this. I think if they're going to come in, whoever comes in, and, and, and it's obviously get picked to be the president, they need to think about our football here, our youth clubs, okay? Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's there being issues about, you know, so many things that they want to bring to the table, but um, they need to think about that because the future of the national team and the future of the MLS is not at the top. Mm-hmm. It's at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Right? And until we have a good plan for the bottom, yeah, we're going to get some players here and there, but we will never be the power that we're supposed to be. So anybody who comes, if they really want to change this and, and leave a legacy once they leave, they, start, they need to start thinking about what we can do to improve our football at, this, you know, at the youth level to be able to basically develop elite players, not just good players or very good players. I'm talking about elite players. Right. So they have a big task. Now, they can do it if they're not afraid to change the system, if they're not afraid to bring the right people. Because I think right now the people in the federation, I think their cycle is is done. 
Okay, I think mm. they've served for a lot of years, and it's time for them to to set, you know, get on the side, let somebody else try something different. Um, now, going to the Jonathan question, I can tell you that um, I know Jonathan very well. Uh, I've known his parents for more than four years. Um, I didn't discover Jonathan. Um, obviously, somebody had recommended it to me. And we brought him to a training center. I used to do training centers for the national team mm. in Northern California. Mm -hmm. And uh, those training centers were basically open to um, uh, the academy clubs, obviously, and non-academy clubs. Um, and my whole idea about that was to make sure that um, not only the academy clubs were, you know, prefer to come to these training centers, but also to be able to give the other clubs an opportunity to send their players, even though they were not in the academy program. And Jonathan came out of one of those programs um, with a club in, in, in Santa Rosa. And somebody recommended it to me and told me, look, I have this type of players. And obviously, look, my idea was to first, if I was working with the national team at that time, I was a coach and I said, look, to the staff and to USAC, I said, I think, this is the type of players that I would like to, to bring to our camps and, and training centers because I feel that we have American players that can play this type of football and this style. So obviously the technical part was uh, very important, not only the physical part um, or the athleticism, as they call it here in America, but the technical part, the IQ of their football was important. And uh, when Jonathan was brought to us, um, you know, to the first training center, we saw that he had something. And uh, obviously he was a skinny kid, you know, uh, not the <laughs> typical physical kid. But we saw something that I, I felt could uh, he could have a chance with us. One was his technical ability. Uh, the other one was his ability to play in two positions, three positions. And the best thing that I saw in him was his tactical awareness even at his age. Um, and those three things we saw in him and we felt that uh, we had to bring him in. You know, we, we had him for some training centers and then obviously he was invited for the national team camp. And from there, obviously, uh, we had, you know, we, we knew we had had a, not discovered, but we knew that we had a, a talented player to play two or three positions in the middle with him. Um, now, again, what happened with him, uh, and this is something that I think also whoever comes into the national team program as a president, they need to realize something. Um, I think at U.S. soccer for years, we've been lacking um, the understanding how to deal with different cultures. Um, the Hispanic culture is probably um, a very different culture than everybody else. And the way you treat cultures uh, are not the same as you would treat the Hispanic culture. You have to have certain things and you have to know the people to be able to deal with them. And, and I think in Jonathan's case, and it's been on other cases in the national team where we have failed also. There's two players right now that are uh, playing in, in Mexico that also we had issues uh, on the cultural side because we didn't treat them, you know, the way we should have treated them. And, especially uh, the families. Uh, and I think that's where U.S. soccer has failed to 
to understand that. And I don't think they've been um, hesitant to, to really understand it or want to understand it because they never made really an effort to, to be able to reach um, the people or the community the way we, we should have done it for years. Um, so that's one thing that worries me um, because we'll continue to lose players um, I'm not just talking about Mexico, but maybe other countries, uh, but especially with the Hispanic population here in America, um, we need to, you know, open our eyes. And, and I think uh, somebody described that um, part of the reason that uh, we had failed to retain uh, Jonathan, because we were obviously um, not a humble organization. Uh, you know, we thought that, Everything we do is they have to come to us. We need to have to come to them. Mm-hmm. We were arrogant. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can't do those things. I, I think the Federation's job is to, to, to reach people, not to wait for people to reach them. Um, because whether we like it, you know, you know, the, the Hispanic culture is a football culture. Mm-hmm. You know, you go to their homes, right. Saturdays and Sundays, they're not be watching football. The parents, the dads. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we have failed there, and 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 and, and, and the leadership right now of the federation is, is should be accountable for that, um, because we we not only lost I'm gonna tell you something we not only lost a good player, okay, but I think also we lost a, a good person, a kid mm-hmm. that was I remember talking to him you know he always used to tell me oh you know they want me to play for Mexico, uh, even one time he told me look. She was well hard wants to sign me, but they told me that they can't sign me unless I renounce the U.S. And and he said to me, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to go to Chivas because if not, I won't play for the national team. Uh, but while I was there, obviously, I always try to keep uh, things in perspective, making sure that all these people, uh, all this Hispanic uh, talent that we had. Uh, was I made him felt that they were part of the U.S. Okay, uh, but it was a battle. To be honest with you, it was a battle um, because we could have done so many other things, not just for Jonathan, but a lot of the kids that, and some of them that just left for to play for Mexico. What do you, What do you make of the current situation when it comes to dual nationals from the national uh, federation? Okay. Well, he, here's the thing. Um, I'm going to tell you my own experience, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, in, 80, in 82, um, I was living in L.A., and um, the national team from El Salvador had qualified for the World Cup. And um, I was 16 years old, and uh, my uncle spoke to the federation and said, look, I have my nephew. He's a very good player. I was playing already semi-pro, and I was in a... Um, a professional club with the LA Aztecs, and he said, look, can you guys see him for the future? You know, can you take a look? You guys are coming to LA for a tournament. Uh, it would be good if you guys see him. And for our surprise, and my uncles and mine, they said, no, no, we don't have any time. You know, uh, again, they were going to the World Cup. And that hurt me a lot. Because mm. um, I wasn't asking to go to the World Cup. I was just asking to be seen. You know, since I was a Salvadorian. Um, and basically, to make a long story short, um, I ended up being disappointed. And in my mind, I said, okay, 
you know, I won't play for them. Hopefully I can play for somebody else one, one day. And then a year later, a year and a half later, I, I was uh, offered to play for the U.S. And I didn't even think twice because I felt they had, um, you know, taken the time to come and talk to me to play for, for U.S. Uh, so I, now I, I, can, I can really see um, what could happen. And I, I can tell you almost 100% that what happened to Jonathan wasn't because he didn't want to play for us. It was because um, he was with the, um, when he was with, with my group, I had spoken to Richie Williams about bringing him with the 98 group because he was capable of competing for a spot in the World Cup for the under-17s with the 98 group. That's how good I think he was. And everybody agreed to that. Um, but then he wasn't given a chance. Um, and then uh, he was left out. Uh, but he kept, you know, with us, he kept, you know, thinking that he could play for us. Then, obviously, I think he had a, a game, a couple of games with the under-20s. Uh, and he's left out of the World Cup with that one also. So that's two times already that, I mean, he's thinking about his holding because I know Mexico had been after him, not this year, he's been after him for the last three years since he was with the 40s without. Because I knew that, because I know the mm. Mexican, you know, uh, I know the, all the Mexican uh, people from the Federation. They had been after him for the last three years while I was still with the dancer team. But, you know, I, I've spoken to, to Jonathan and his parents. I, you know, be, be, be patient, I think you're going to get there because you're one of the top players. And obviously I left, I don't know what happened. Uh, but then uh, what really killed the whole situation was, I think uh, uh, when U.S. had not qualified for the World Cup, and I think they had two games in Europe. One was against Portugal, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yep. And he doesn't get called to the World Cup. Um, I mean, for those, for those uh, friendly games. And Josh Sargent, I think, the kid that played under 17s and 20s, uh, he got called, and a couple of young guys of the 98 group got called. Yep. Now, without taking anything from those kids, basically Jonathan had been playing a year already with Monterey, right? Starting in every game, and he was part of the success in that team. Uh, I don't know why. I mean, I, I can just think why maybe, but I don't know what the reason was basically for him not being called because it was a FIFA date. Anyway, uh, Monterey could have had to say yes if they would have called him. Uh, but I suspect, and this is my personal opinion, uh, I don't think they thought he was a player for them. You know, I don't think really? they thought that his style of playing, yeah. Uh, because, I mean, whether we like it or not, look, we, we have coaches in our country that they prefer certain type of players. And some of those players sometimes are not the most technical, you know. Based, and, based on what? And knowing, based on their, I mean, I, I would have to say, if they really would have won Jonathan, if they really thought that Jonathan was going to be part of a, a renovation of a different football, they would have called him, okay? Because they've known him for for a long time. But the people who were in charge at that time, and I think, they had a, a obviously a, a coach. I think it was Bruce's assistant that that took over that um, those teams. Um, I don't think maybe he thought he was uh, you know he was ready or he was important or he was the type of player going forward that they wanted. Because I still don't see 
any good excuse for him not to be called because they were calling also kids who were the 98 group. Right. It was, you know, and I, and I mentioned Sergeant because Sergeant was a 17 year old kid right. that had not played with a professional club yet. Saying he's not good, saying is that Jonathan was already playing a year and starting for a professional club that had gone to the finals. You know what I mean? Um, but again, it, maybe whoever was in charge at that time said, you know, I don't, I don't think Jonathan is, is, is what we want. Um, and unfortunately, I mean, I don't agree with that, but uh, you have to respect maybe that's what they thought. Uh, and, and it was a big mistake not to call him. That's what prompted him, you know, saying, you know what, I'm done. They don't want me. They don't like me. Uh, and I don't blame him. To be honest with you, I don't blame him because he did hold for a lot of, for four years because Mexico was after him. No, I mean, I think I speak for myself and Steven and many American fans. When we saw that list for Noemar Friendlies, I was looking for Jonathan Gonzalez's name, and it, was, and it wasn't there. And then I, I, we heard through the rumors that, oh, it was because uh, Monterrey had a, a match at some point, and then that he was communicated, that he'd get called up. And then we found out there was, there was no communication. And you talked about accountability. We, we, we heard earlier on, uh, in the month uh, when Jonathan decided to uh, choose Mexico, uh, U.S. Chief Scout uh, Thomas Rongen mentioned that he had visited Jonathan three times. And we later found out that that was false. What would you no, think it, of that? It was. It, I'm sorry, go uh, ahead. It's an, it's an embarrassment for us when, you, when you're telling lies to the people and then everything comes to the light, when, which is not true. Um, that just shows you what type of uh, leadership we have right now there. Uh, because I know for a fact that um, um, I've spoken to the, the dad and he's told me, you know, uh, I feel so, I mean, it's so embarrassed, he told me, what U.S. soccer has said about my son and the things I said that they did for him, uh, basically, uh, they were not true. Um, why did they lie? And this is my point. It doesn't make any sense because you, you have to be frank and sincere all the time. They should have said, look, I don't think Jonathan's our plans right now. The type of player that he is, we, we know he's a good player, but it doesn't fit in our system or, or, or we don't think he's, you know, ready right now, but to be able to come with those excuses and lie, I, I, I think it just shows you the the lack of, uh, leadership that we have, uh, which is honestly a shame because, uh, um, you always gotta be truth and, right. and a player, you know, when you speak to a player and you tell them the truth, they'll respect you, even though they might not like it, uh, but they'll respect you. And, 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 you know, the lie that game, I guess that they had visited him at his house, uh, his family house, um, which is totally, totally false. Um, and if it was true, I mean, I think it was about, who was it, Thomas Rongen? They said that uh, they had sent Thomas Rongen to his yeah, house? Yeah, Thomas Rongen, yes. All right. I don't know if Thomas Rongen speaks Spanish, okay? <laughs> um, he's a Dutch guy. Um, but I know his dad said, no, this was never true. So they look so bad on this situation that um, it, it's a shame. To be honest, it, it's a shame. And, I mean, it's like... If you're in a big company, something like that happens, you probably fire the people who are in charge. 
mm-hmm. because right. um, yeah. it's it's a serious thing. It's it's not. Uh, it puts our federation so low uh, as far as how committed they are or how serious they are or how professional they are. Because uh, sometimes even amateur teams don't do that. Uh, but again, because there's no accountability, everybody's you know passing the ball to somebody else. Um, and I think that's that's that is not excusable. Hugo, I want to ask you, because I'm a little confused. This player is clearly talented. He's done great things at you know age 18. You obviously saw him play when he was a lot younger. Armand saw him play not too long ago. Why did the Federation cut this player out? Because I would have to say that, um, look, when I was, um, you know, when I was with the national team program, uh, I looked at our, our players, our young players, um, even the 98 group. I had the 98 group for uh, for camps. And, you know, if you look at the 98 group, some of the players that are playing in Europe are, are starting to succeed. And obviously Pulisic is a, is a special one. Um, but when I came in, uh, I, 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 at least at that time, I had the liberty to choose the type of players that I wanted to bring to the national team. I had gotten tired of looking at players that only ran, that only destroy, that only, you know, were physical, uh, that only played counterattack football. I was tired of that. And I, you know, when I picked the, the, the staff that we had, I, you know, and I told the Federation this, and I said, look, uh, we need to change this. Our, our players are better than what we have see them play, I said, but uh, we have to give them the confidence and teach them a lot of the things that ha- they have not been taught. Um, and obviously, in order to do that, you have to have the conviction of that type of football. Because if you don't have it, you are going to choose uh, a different kind of a player. And when I look at a national team, I mean, I still go crazy to think that Jonathan wouldn't fit there because uh, for me, Jonathan, at his age, is probably the most tactical player I've seen in years, even with the ones who are playing now in the national team at the senior level. I mean, he's so tactical where he plays that it's, it's amazing just to see him play that way. And for me to think that he didn't have a room in our national team, it's, 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 I feel sorry you know, for whoever didn't see that. Uh, but again... You also have type of players in this country, I mean, type of coaches in this country, excuse me, that they like different types of players. And, and probably sometimes the technical part or the, the IQ is not important. Um, and based on that is how national teams are being picked. Um, you know, I still think that the 98 group that we had going into the World Cup, those kids were, I mean, those kids were, for me, talented. Now, why didn't they show the talent? Okay, why didn't they? Why didn't we do a lot more better with that group? Well, it was the type of football that they play. It was the type of football that they told them they had to play. Um, and I think a lot of that responsibility, you know, it falls on the coach. Um, I, you know, I, I, I got in trouble for making a comment, you know, when I was working there because uh, somebody asked me one day, "What do you think about the?" You know, the 98 group, they had played in Florida. And I said, look, I don't think they play well, but uh, mm. 
they have time to, to get better. And obviously, the coach got upset. He thought I was criticizing him, and in reality, I wasn't. I was just saying that that day, I didn't think they played well. They could have played. But, but going forward, I said they can play better because I know they were talented because I had them. Right, you right. see what I'm saying? I trained them. I knew the type of football that they could play. But, but again, um, when somebody else got them, they played different. Now, at 17, you know, the leadership is important. The way they tell you, some of the kids are going to have to do it or else they don't play. Uh, but I know that group was talented, and I know that when I saw him play, they played totally different than the way we taught them how to play when we had him. And I think it, it, it all goes back also to the senior national team. Every coach picks players that he feels can fit into his style of play and system. And that's, it's always going to be like that. But, but one thing I've learned is, and Johan Coy said this, you know, the talented player, the technical player, you always have to look, Okay. It doesn't matter what. You always have mm-hmm. to look. And then from there, you got to work with him to be able to fit him so that way he can produce as a group or as a team for the whole team. And I think we lack about those things also because we don't pay attention to that much, you know. Uh, and I think that that could probably be the reason why Jonathan uh, was never given a chance to to go to the um, the, the senior national team or the other, you know. Uh, national teams, the youth national teams. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree, Hugo. I mean, we do we do lack uh, some certain themes within the, the national teams. And I, I just wanted to talk about another Jay Gonzalez real quickly, FC Dallas keeper Jesse Gonzalez, who actually made the reverse switch after playing for the Mexico Mexico's youth teams, played four matches in the U-20 championships, and even rejected a January camp invite from Jurgen Klinsmann to attend the U-23 Mexico team camp ahead of the Rio Olympics, which he didn't make the roster. And after a back and forth, he did end up playing for the United States. It's kind of funny because the situations are are, pre- are pretty similar. You know, Jonathan is more seemingly... Att- it's hard to compare it to, but it looks like Jonathan is seemingly more talented uh, a little bit more talented than Jesse is in terms of the level he's playing at. What, what do you make of the battle between the United States and Mexico for these dual national players? Well, you're always going to have that battle. Um, but also you have to think about something. Um, some of these kids make these decisions with their parents. Some do it by heart. Some do it by uh, how far they're going to get in the, you know, their profession. Okay. Uh, I don't know. Jesse too well, but um, I can tell you that in Mexico, they have very good goalkeepers. And maybe he thought that uh, once he got to the under-20s, he thought, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm behind three, four goalkeepers. And usually goalkeepers in Mexico, they last a long time. Right. Uh, you, know, you take a look at Ochoa now. He's been there for, he's, this is going to be his third World Cup, I think. So <laughs> they last for a long time. So it's a, it's a, it's a more complex situation for, for Jesse because if he would have stayed with Mexico, he probably would have had to wait 10 years before he probably reaching and being a starter in the national team for Mexico because Mexico does have good goalkeepers. Now, on the field, is a little bit different because, you know, you can play any position. Goalkeeper, it was more difficult, and he probably thought, you know what, I don't see my future in the national team. It's going to be in a short time, you know, and, and, and probably the U.S., maybe I can, I have a better chance of, reaching the national team sooner than I would be in Mexico. And maybe that's why, because I know he was with, I mean, I remember him, uh, Mexico was very high on him with, through the youth systems. Okay. But once you get to the, to the real 
national team, then it's a difficult because now you're talking about goalkeepers being there for seven, eight years, the experience, some right. playing in Europe, some being the best in their clubs. So it was more difficult for him. It's probably an easier choice for him um, than it was, you know, obviously with Jonathan. You're always going to have the battle. You know, you're always going to have the battle. But at the end, this is what I think is going to be the important thing. If we want to retain our players or if we want the opportunity to retain our players, let's put it that way, we're going to have to not only concentrate on the football side, we're going to have to do what Mexico did, which it was smart, right? If you're really interested in a player, do you think that you're going to, if this is the senior national team, do you think that uh, you're going to send a scout to talk to the family? No. You're going to send the president probably. You're going to send the, 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 the real technical director. You're going to send the head coach because he's going to go to the senior national team to talk to him, right, and tell him, look, we feel you're important. We feel, you know, we have a future with you going right. forward. And I'm here, you know, uh, to tell you that uh, we want to have you. Uh, we like you. Uh, and this is, the, you know, this is the plan that we have for you. And all those things come into account. And then obviously that relationship with the family, uh, which I think is important. Now, we didn't do that. Okay. And I'll tell you probably nobody wants to hear this. But it's the reality. We didn't do it because we didn't think he was important for us. Period. We can go so many other ways to, to think and, and put excuses. He was not important for us. That's why we did not do that. Going forward, who do you think has the upper hand when it comes to the dual nationals between USA and Mexico? If we have the same federation, whoever comes in, Mexico. But if we if have we change, change, then we do. You know why? Because we're bigger than Mexico. <laughs> we're bigger than Mexico. Kids keep, you know, being born in our country that are from Mexican, Salvadorian descendants, uh, Argentinian descendants, Brazilian descendants with dual citizenship. Mm -hmm. So they're in our territory right now. The future is on the territory. The thing is, what are we going to do with it? And mm -hmm. who we're going to make sure takes care of them. Who are we going to make sure that treats those people as human beings in the, in the right way, okay, without discriminating or putting them down or anything like that or thinking that the U.S. is bigger than anybody else. And I said this before, the U.S. belongs to the people. The U.S. Soccer Federation belongs to the people. It doesn't belong to the people who are running it. It belongs to a nation, right? And that nation, which is the future, the kids, okay, we need to take care of it, but we need the right people that are people who are humble, that are people that are willing to really uh, lower their status and, and go and find, uh, you know, what the needs are. I mean, I always fought, the years that I was youth soccer, I always fought for making sure that we get, we gave opportunities to, to, our, uh, to our Hispanic kids and doing you know, training centers all over. I used to do that in LA. I did it here in Northern California because it, it, it didn't come from the Federation. It wasn't in their plans. See what I'm saying? And every time I did one, mm -hmm. we, I always had a lot of kids that came in from clubs outside the academy because I made, I made them feel that they were part of our Federation. I made the families feel that their kids 
were wanted by us. Um, and, 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 you know, one of the things, and I'm not doing propaganda for anybody, but one of, one of the things that we have here in America is, is the Alliance organization, which is, you know, it's an organization that basically is giving a lot of chances to the kids in the Hispanic communities right. more than what the Federation has done in years. And I applaud that because, uh, you know, a lot of those kids are going to Mexico, not because they only want to go to Mexico, it's because they only, you know, they've been given that opportunity that we haven't given them here. Um, and I don't know why, you know, it was always a battle between, uh, you know, working with Alianza or going to events of them. I went to a couple of them and some sometimes obviously uh, the Federation didn't want to work with them. Uh, but that's what we need to do going forward. That's very interesting, Hugo. Hugo, I want to thank you so much for joining us on the on the show today. And uh, on the show, we actually do a little something called a shameless plug, uh, where you can plug us, where we can find you on Twitter, uh, social media, all that good stuff. So if you want to, just go ahead and plug yourself away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Look, I, I want to... Obviously, uh, this is one thing that I, I want to... You know, I, I want to, before we close here. Um, Absolutely. I can tell you one thing. I, I believe, honestly, with all my heart, in our American players. Mm-hmm. Okay? Whether they're Hispanic, African-American, Asian, I, I don't care. I believe them because I've seen them. I know uh, the talent we have in this country. But, um, but also, uh, I will say with all respect, okay, I think... Uh, Whoever comes in and wins this presidency needs to really make a big change. Um, we need a new leadership in the Federation. We need people with a different vision and people who are willing to work hard all right, for the sake of our programs, not for them, not to be on TV, on the radio, or on shows. Mm-hmm. No. People who are willing to say, look, you know what, let's do this because it's the best for our kids, not for me or somebody else. If we do that, you're going to see a big change. Okay. Because everybody in the world talks about how much America has right now, uh, and how close we are of really breaking through to be a power in this country. But until we change that mentality that we've had for the last 15, 20 years, it's not going to happen. We only going to have flashes of what, how good our players could be in our mm-hmm. system. You know, so hopefully, again, uh, I'm praying that we get somebody there with, <laughs> how can I say it, with the guts to make a change yeah. where it really matters, right? Mm. Not to do favors because they're, they're going to get their votes. Uh, you can favor, you know, they, all those candidates can favor their, you know, their associations or, or leagues. That's not going to change anything. You, you need to come up and clean house. And, and put people in charge that are really, really looking to change. And and I know they bring, you know, they every time they, they think about bringing new people from overseas and that you have people in this country that are capable of doing that. They just need to find them, right? And uh, hopefully they'll do it. Well, Hugo, thank you so much. We really.